Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. So glad that you're joining us here today on this uh, Thursday here in Tucson, Arizona. It was October 26th today. We're glad you're joining us for another edition of A Reason for Hope. In case it's your first time and you wonder what this next hour will be about, well, it's about giving you a, the reason for our hope in Jesus and in his word and his truth. Uh, it's guided along, for the most part, by your questions on the Bible. You can send in your questions through multiple online platforms where we're streaming live. I'll be going over those in just a moment. And you can send your questions in. We have some guests here who love the Word and love the Lord and love to answer your questions and um, delve in uh, deep into truth with you. So we are um, very glad for your questions. We appreciate if they're honest and sincere questions. And again, a question that's looking for a, a, an answer straight out of Scripture. Anything's really fair game. Could be a verse that you've come across that's confusing to you. Maybe something you're going through in your life. You'd like a biblical perspective, maybe even other worldviews, things that you think might uh, contradict what the Word says, um, anything along those lines, maybe something pertaining to what's going on in Israel and out in the Middle East at the moment, questions along those lines, I'm sure we'll have a bit of an update for you today as well. So any question along those lines, um, I will be right there in the, the chat functions to receive your questions. My name is Dave Robson, I am your host today. It's good to be with you, and I'm glad that you're out there joining us with us today. Pastor Scott, he's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Seems like just yesterday we were here. Yes. Because we were. In fact, just yesterday we were We were here, yeah. That's yeah, why it feels um, that way. By the way, I, 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 I almost uh, completely uh, destroyed Ruined. Yeah. Uh, all confidence and credibility in the church. <laughs> uh, we're doing tomorrow a uh, harvest uh, celebration and uh, lots of stuff for the kids. Mm -hmm. um, rumor has it that there will be a dunk tank featuring With your yours name truly. On it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We haven't decided whether people need to pay for the privilege of seeing me go through ceremonial uh, immersion. I don't know if this counts as mikvah or not. We'll have to consult with the rabbis on it. But uh, anyway, this time of year, uh, inevitably, uh, candy corn shows up again mm -hmm. and one thing i'd like to say about candy corn and why i'm such a fan is that first of all it uh not only is a delicious little snacky treat but it's also something you can use as as, as a costume you can get the, the the dracula thing going right there just with two pieces of candy corn okay. and it is one of the only holiday treats that if left in your mouth for a considerable length of time makes its own gravy <laughs> so wow so candy corn <laughs> what, what what an invention <laughs> i think it's the apex of uh of human civilization personally <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> well stick around for more nom, more nom, interesting nom. facts from that another interesting <laughs> fact is that on nom, the way nom, nom. on the way into the studio pastor scott grabbed those from a pot that was out there they've been here setting up for our fall festival and he took it from the jar, which is going to be guessed the amount of candy corns in the jar. And one of the volunteers was like, did you take some? How many did you take? Because we need to know how many were in there. So shame on you. You should keep your hands off the candy. I, you, I mean, what are you thinking? I, I think we all have our breaking point. And for me, it's candy corn. <laughs> it's candy corn. Wow. Yeah. Well, there we go. We learn, learn something new about <laughs> there you. There you go. Every day. Yeah. And as you <laughs> meant, my, 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 my son, my right-hand man, protege, and all-around good guy is looking at me more and more dubiously. <laughs> I know. As this discussion commences he's thinking that was I even have a more resting anxious face yeah <laughs> he's thinking that was even more random than the things that i share your dad's outdone you today 
How are you doing today, Sean? Pastor Sean Richards with us as well. You know, I'm uh, looking forward to an opportunity to get my bucket of gummy worms filled. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. It's my go-to. I uh, Here in the United States, we have this thing called bulk junk food. So like the stores and stuff, they have all the things lined up with like family value stuff. More than anyone should consume of the gelatin and sour-based products. But my go-to, whenever I have the opportunity to eat candy, which is rare, what I'll do is I'll just get one of those family value things, fill it up in this giant bucket, and then just like graze on two or three a day for the next couple months. And that's my, that's my candy. Wow, delicious. We have actually a lot of candy in this room that's getting ready for our fall festival tomorrow. I'm more of a chocolate guy myself. And as Pastor Scott mentioned, tomorrow night, that'll be Friday, the October 27th, we have our fall festival between 5 and 9 p.m. It's a free event. Do come on out if you're in the Tucson area. Um, we're right by Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway, just like a block north from the exit. You'll find us free event we're going to have piloting contest and um, like an obstacle course and uh, dunk tank as pastor scott mentioned adrian van bacter who's the other host on this show will be doing he's an illusionist he'll be doing his show what he's been doing out in egypt just a few weeks ago as you know it's going to be just a great evening again fun for the family free please come along we'd love to um, see you there um, well where are we at? Back to business. Yes, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. <laughs> Where are with we? You. What are we here for yeah, yeah, to do? Yeah. Yes, we're with you Monday through Friday, um, live with you uh, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship. So as I mentioned, you're welcome to come and check out our services here. Um, it's uh, at our church here that we're having the full festival tomorrow night. But we have Sunday morning services. We have a Wednesday evening service. We're currently going through the book of Acts on Sunday and the book of Ezekiel on Wednesday nights we're a calvary chapel affiliated affiliated church so we teach verse by verse chapter by chapter book by book we love the word we love to teach it we love to share everything it says and not leave anything out so if you're into that come and uh, check us out we'd love it calvarychristianfellowship.com is our website you can get more information there or just reach out with your questions if you have any questions about our ministry here um if that if you go to that watch live tab that will take you to our live page anytime we're live we stream right to there or if you just type in ccftucson.online.church straight into your browser that will take you right to that same page as well or again calvarychristianfellowship.com the watch live tab you'll see us live there now the video you can sign in with the username and then send us your questions there'll be a chat function that will appear and i will be right there with you receiving your questions as they come in today when we're offline you, you can see a schedule of upcoming events and a countdown so you won't have to miss the next show. We're on Facebook as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook or facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. We'd appreciate it if you would like and share. Um, that's another way you can send your question in just on the chat function that's attached to the video. Send your questions there as well. Uh, on your mobile device, we have an app, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo and you can watch us on your cell phone. Uh, also, we have a channel on Roku and on Apple TV as well. So go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and add us as a channel. You can watch us on your big screen, just blow us up life size, see how beautiful we are. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name um, of the channel on YouTube, streaming live right there. Uh, again, don't forget to, to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell if you would like, then you get prompted when uh, we go live we'd appreciate that it's a great place for archive as well anytime we've been live it's uh, archives there under the live tab so if you wanted to watch uh, one of our services maybe catch up on the studies we've been doing 
here at Calvary Christian Fellowship or watch um, one of the shows that you missed or you know recap on a question for your own study it's all right there for you and we post other videos as well questions of the week and other content right there a reason for hope on YouTube Pastor Scott's on Twitter if you're on the Twitter platform you can follow along with him Scott R4H Scott letter R number four letter H man so much going on in the world that he comments on and commentary as we go along as it you know pertains to, to biblical prophecy and end times and the like so if you are um wanted to follow along with all that good stuff scott r4h on twitter uh, we're on the rumble platform not live on there but we post video content a reason for hope bible q a if you use rumble and then our email address questions for hope at gmail.com questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com you can send your question there as well you'll want to use that if you're listening to us on the radio as we're not live with you on the radio you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded so if you're tuning in reach radio or another radio affiliate just keep that in mind but uh, use that email address questions for hope at gmail.com and we will get to that as the time comes around and as you can join us so whatever platform you are we're very glad you've uh, found us and are joining us send your questions in and i'll just try and get these guys to get to as many of them as they can today it's like herding cats it is like herding cats yeah <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I'm good with time. Very, uh, very wise, very wise cats, but cats nonetheless. Yeah, but um, so yes. And one more thing: if you are attending the fall festival tomorrow and you want to curry favor with Pastor Scott, Reese's peanut butter cups are his jam. Oh, I did not put him up to that. No. <laughs> yeah, sure Full you didn't. Full disclosure. Sure you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Why are you pinching his leg under the table then? Explain yeah. that. Yeah. Both his hands are visible. These guys are both delirious with candy. I don't know what's going on. We'll do our best today. Sure. Yeah, it's the season. <laughs> Why don't we pause to pray? Sure, would you like to pray today? If you can, you know, take your mind from candy and sweet treats. Okay. <laughs> Dad, thank you. We have the chance to be here. We know we don't have anything to offer if it's not first from your spirit. Fill my father and I with you now and allow us to share from the overflow of what you have to say to your people. Give us wisdom not only in what is shared, but how it's shared, and just see that your word is not only accurately represented, but your name ultimately honored as a result of the time taken to focus on you today. Pray that you'd bless your people as a result of hearing your word, and you would honor your word as it's being presented and protect my father and I from error as that work is being done. And we pray this would be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. Indeed, yeah. Oh, anything to update today? Well, lots, on? lots of stuff going on, both uh, domestically and overseas. Starting with what's happening in Israel, uh, there have been uh, on-again, off-again skirmishes uh, going on between uh, uh, IDF soldiers with Hezbollah up in the north. Uh, there was a, a very graphic uh, depiction of a uh, Hezbollah uh, group trying to set up an anti-tank missile to launch into Israel, which uh, an Israeli drone uh, promptly dispatched. Uh, and, and it's kind of going back and forth. There have been um, rocket uh, attacks from Gaza still uh, impacting the central, central part of Israel, including Tel Aviv. Uh, and so what I think we're seeing right now is uh, sort of uh, the chessboard, if you will, being set up. Uh, Israel is uh, doing something very interesting as far as their tactics in Gaza. Uh, they have repeatedly made uh, minor incursions, not major incursions, into uh, northern Gaza. And by minor incursions, what I mean is that they have sent in tanks and uh, heavily armored bulldozers into the outskirts of the center part 
of Gaza. And this might be throwing Hamas off a bit. I imagine what they were probably betting on was that uh, the Jews would go in and immediately just do this uh, mad rush out of the rage uh, in response to uh, the awful things that were done, uh, the, the horrific brutalities, the Holocaust-level brutalities mm -hmm. that were done by the Hamas terrorists. But Israel uh, is, is moving with all deliberate speed. And today we saw a number of videos where they would go in, oh, say about a quarter mile or so, and uh, destroy, say, terrorist infrastructure and terror tunnels and clear out IEDs and so forth. Uh, and, and so this incremental uh, approach that is going on uh, is probably taking Gaza and uh, the uh, Hamas terrorists in Gaza back a little bit. Uh, it's probably forcing them to uh, revisit their strategy. They also, uh, according to Amir Serfati, our good friend on uh, his Telegram channel, I, I signed up for the Telegram platform just to get uh, Amir's updates, uh, believe mm. it or not. And I, I would highly recommend it. He really does uh, a great job. And he's right there, ground zero, uh, keeping uh, us up to date on the latest things that are happening. Uh, but uh, according to Amir, uh, apparently the IDF, uh, the Mossad, uh, their intelligence people, Sheen Bet, and others, uh, have a pretty good idea of where the terror tunnel network is in Gaza. And they have been uh, using bunker-busting bunker bombs uh, to uh, destroy uh, quite a bit of that infrastructure, along with this sort of squeeze play as far as uh, removing uh, the the the, uh, the uh, infrastructure that Hamas was counting on, as far as uh, conducting guerrilla warfare against Israel when they do their invasion, so we're seeing that outside of Israel, some really uh, potentially disturbing things. Certainly, uh, areas of prayer. Uh, we are told that Russia is starting to get more and more involved in what is going on here. We know that the mad mullahs in Iran are the ones pulling the strings behind all of this. But uh, Russia and Iran have uh, been kind of odd bedfellows, but bedfellows nonetheless, uh, for uh, quite some time now to detail for you a little bit about this relationship. Russia and Iran have never been on speaking terms uh, for a number of historical reasons going back centuries, never had anything to do with each other. Uh, but uh, interestingly, after the uh, Ayatollahs took over, uh, the particular brand of Islam that is practiced in Iran, uh, that is Shiite Islam, was also practiced by a, a group in Chechnya known as the Chechen rebels. This was uh, a, a huge problem for Russia, especially when they controlled Chechnya as part of the Soviet Union. Well, uh, among other things the Chechen rebels did was uh, an event called the Beslan School Massacre, where over 800, count them, 800 school children were massacred by mm. these Chechen rebels. And uh, at that point, Vladimir Putin was the head of the KGB. Uh, his neck was on the line. Uh, people were saying, how in the world could something like this happen? So... Uh, interestingly, right after this, and a number of apartment bombings, a number of aircraft going down by these Chechen rebels, very uh, good at what they did as far as terrorism was concerned, mm. uh, Russia created a, an outreach to Iran. Uh, among the uh, facets of it was building a nuclear power plant and facilitating a nuclear program for Iran. 
Fascinatingly, as soon as this friendship pact was reached, poof, no more problems with the Chechen rebels. Mm. Uh, in other words, uh, Russia called off, or I would say Iran called off the dogs. And, and, and so ever since, they've had this alliance of uh, convenience, if you will. And I think it's significant biblically because uh, when we look at uh, the Ezekiel 38 Gog and Magog invasion, it speaks of Gog of the land of Magog uh, is literally being drawn with hooks uh, into this particular battle. Not something he wants to do, but doesn't feel like he has any choice. Right. Well, these, this kind of coercion, this kind of pressure on Russia is uh, probably something that we see setting up here. So uh, Russia definitely has to take Iran's side in all of this if they know, in a sense, what's good for you. Nice country. Be ashamed if something happened to it, with mm -hmm. is kind of the approach. And so Russia today began authorizing Iranian cargo planes to land uh, at the Syrian-controlled base that Russia shares with the country of Syria. Uh, this basically means that uh, if Israel is to try to attack this base, they would probably be about the business of destroying Russian aircraft, uh, which would bring Russia more directly into the fray. They certainly don't want to do that. Uh, this is going to allow uh, Iran to be able to get arms shipments into Syria, which will eventually reach uh, their number one terrorist group, Hezbollah. Uh, this is happening after the IDF bombed the airports at Aleppo and Damascus, according to foreign sources. So they're, they're doing an end run. The other uh, interesting thing that is uh, going on at this particular time is that uh, Russia is now sitting down and having talks uh, with Hamas and uh, with uh, ministers from the country of Qatar, uh, you know, in uh, the capital city uh, Doha there and, and so on. Uh, they are uh, talking about uh, the idea of trying to use Qatar as a way to res resolve the hostage situation. Their opening bid, by the way, was that uh, they would be willing to release all of the hostages, uh, all 220, including the babies and the children and the elderly, in exchange for 6,000 Hamas prisoners mm. that Israel holds right now. So uh, I think that's kind of a non-starter to begin with. But Russia is about the business of doing this. And Israel has uh, expressed uh, a, a real concern about Russia treating Hamas as if they were some kind of governmental entity. Uh, something that would have that same status as, say, uh, the representatives from Qatar and others. So Russia is definitely getting more and more involved with all of this. Uh, we still have no definitive idea on the uh, physical condition of Vladimir Putin, who, according to Sky News last Sunday night, was found face down in his bedroom after suffering a massive heart attack. Uh, there's been backtracking on that, Russia mm -hmm. denying that, but we haven't seen Vladimir Putin showing his face ever since this sort of thing happened. So mm. who knows, in a sense, what's going on. Uh, all of this is just to say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, there are those who believe that the actual uh, invasion of Gaza may happen as soon as this weekend. But uh, who knows? Uh, this could be a, uh, a months-long uh, incursion. Uh, Israel is certainly in no hurry. In fact, uh, the slower they go, the more difficult it becomes for Hamas because, among other things, they start running out of water, start running out of food, 
uh, you yeah. know, again, the, the tension of having to live underground in these, these cramped quarters and such, not uh, something that really bids in their favor. So uh, people are saying, why is, is Israel waiting? Lots of different theories. One of them is to give time for, say, the uh, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, uh, the Israeli Mossad and Sheen Bet, uh, their special forces of IDF, to try to locate where they're keeping the hostages and try to facilitate an escape. I'm not optimistic that something like that can happen. Yeah. But uh, that is one of the theories that's involved. The other theory that is involved is giving the United States full time to uh, position all of its uh, defensive uh, capabilities uh, in the uh, eastern Mediterranean Sea. As we mentioned, there are two uh, aircraft carrier task forces. Now we have the uh, ultimate Lights and Buzzers Command and Control Center ship that is there with a three-star admiral there to mm -hmm. call the shots, if, they, if quite literally, if things start going yeah. there. So uh, as the weekend unfolds, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. It could be a lot of hurry up and wait. Uh, we really don't know how much more involved Russia is going to get. We don't know what's going on with Putin. Uh, a lot of things up in the air, but uh, many, many reasons to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, we uh, mentioned uh, that uh, last night at our, uh, our study uh, that uh, oftentimes when we do prophecy updates and mention things in the news that are of significance, it's usually kind of negative and a little distressing for people. Mm. But a uh, couple things certainly happened last night. Benjamin Netanyahu quoted from Isaiah 64 last night in his speech to the people. Mm. Uh, the Prime Minister of Israel quoting from the Old Testament prophets as, uh, as their basis for hope, I think is something that is very, very encouraging. The other thing that uh, really kind of came out of left field as far as national politics is concerned is uh, a uh, person that most of us have never heard of before, a guy by the name of Mike Johnson, uh, managed to rise above the fray and was uh, voted in as Speaker of the House. That's third in line, by the way, to the United States president. Why is this so significant for us? Why is this encouraging? Well, in an article in the Epoch Times, uh, they, they summed it up very nicely. Uh, once he was elected Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, uh, said this in his first address to those gathered there, quote, I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in the room last night, speaking to the entire Congress. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that scripture, the Bible, oh my gosh, he quoted the Bible. Well, you know, I'm going to have the vapors here. The Bible is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And I believe that God has allowed and ordained each and every one of us to be here at this specific moment. This is my belief. I believe that every one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts God has given to us to serve the extraordinary people of this great nation and they deserve it. Well, uh, a little background on Mike Johnson. He is a devout conservative Southern Baptist, and uh, those who know him weren't uh, surprised at his allusion to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, very interesting that this fellow was uh, put into this particular role prior to his political career. Uh, he was the first member of his family to graduate from college. Uh, he graduated from law school from LSU. He was the, the uh, president of the Christian Legal Society at LSU and uh, became a successful constitutional law litigator before he ran for office. 
really interesting uh, that he has these kind of credentials. And uh, when asked about his faith, uh, Family Research Council President Tony Perkins kind of laughed, saying, uh, you know, they, were you surprised at him mentioning God's role in raising him up to be the Speaker of the House? And Perkins said, not at all. That, that's Mike. He's not bashful. Uh, again, uh, his campaign for speakership, he said, uh, was through prayer and not through politics. And something certainly did seem miraculous about all the confusion and all the disruption that had gone on and suddenly this man comes to the forefront well you know again there are reasons for this uh, johnson is known as an individual who is very very sharp on legislation when other uh, candidates for speaker of the house would present their their credentials they would talk about their force of personality or how many people they knew uh, Johnson was able to speak very specifically about the specific pieces of uh, legislation. He talked about a seven-point plan, a, a proposed schedule that he did, and uh, really very interesting. An inside source told the Epoch Times that the thing that kind of put him over the edge was that uh, Johnson, according to them, really doesn't have any enemies in the House. And that's due in part to his character and in part to his short time in uh, Congress. They said that fully one-third of his answers to questions as he met with the uh, Republican uh, delegation that was going to vote for Speaker of the House, the majority there, uh, involved some kind of scriptural reference. Uh, so you know, he's been called a brilliant guy, very smart, very passionate. Uh, he's very principled. He has relationships on both sides of the aisle that aren't policy or politically driven. He cares about people. People have conversations with him. He prays with his colleagues. So uh, fascinating, uh, no less uh, an analysis uh, than Newt Gingrich said this. He's shown an ability to calmly and quietly rise in the system without leaving any scars and without making any enemies. Well, that was probably true for the first five minutes after he was named Speaker of the House, but uh, the enemies are lining up. Uh, fascinatingly, one of the first to uh, blow the whistle and say that this fellow is dangerous in his views was no less a publication than Christianity Today. They associated him with Christian nationalism. They associated him with uh, election denying. Uh, they said that uh, you know he was uh, you know far too conservative as far as his religious views to really be a bridge builder and so on. So um, you know when. Um, Newt Gingrich said that um, he didn't have any enemies. Christianity Today basically said, here, hold my beer, he's got one. And it didn't take too long for the term Christo-fascist to start trending on Twitter. Um, yeah, essentially, a Christo-fascist is someone that actually believes that the Bible is, in fact, uh, the Word of God. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, very fascinating uh, how uh, this trend uh, began to take over Twitter uh, in, in a New York minute. Uh, in fact, uh, on uh, the uh, Christo-fascist uh, trending uh, column, uh, one uh, commentator called Planet Plant Girl said, ladies and gentlemen, the definition of a Christo-fascist, uh, because he stood up and said that he believed in Scripture, he believed that the Bible could provide guidance and direction, uh, for the nation and that the Bible says that God raised up all the members of Congress that he was talking to. Well, that certainly sounds 
like a fascist to me. <laughs> you know, uh, the, being the, sarcastic. The, the, the thing, yeah, I'm definitely being sarcastic. The thing that really hit me in all this, some people have said uh, that uh, Mike Johnson seems almost Daniel-like, uh, an individual that stands for scriptural principle, even in the midst of the circumstances that we find today. And that may be truer than any of us think. Uh, you might recall that in Daniel chapter 6, after uh, Darius uh, the Mede took over the Babylonian Empire, he appointed Daniel and two others uh, to be the uh, sort of tri-leaders of the nation. But Daniel distinguished himself so much above everyone else because of the excellent spirit that was in them that the king thought about sending him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. These men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, uh, for those of you who are familiar, what did they end up doing? They ended up using legislation to try to trip up Daniel. And uh, they came to the king and said, oh, you know, you're new here, king, and people don't really know you. And, and, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, it would be just a wonderful thing if everybody that had a request came to you personally uh, for the first 30 days of uh, your rule. So why don't you pass this legislation we put together? Uh, it essentially says no one can pray, uh, ask for anything from man or a god except to you for 30 days. Well, that appealed to Darius's ego, but it was also a bear trap because they realized that Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem, and they knew that Daniel wouldn't budge on this, and that the penalty for violating this would be being tossed into a den of hungry lions who would dispatch you in a very painful way. Well, we know that uh, this is what happened. We know that Darius was like, oh man, I've been had by these people, didn't want to do it. It said, may the God whom you worship continually deliver you. We're told that once Daniel was tossed in the lion's den, had to be in there uh, for 24 hours, uh, that the king didn't sleep all night, came at the crack of dawn and said, Daniel is the God whom you continually serve and able to deliver you. And Daniel says, yes, king, because I haven't wronged you or anyone else. And uh, so they brought Daniel out of the lion's den. King Darius made another edict that uh, these people that set up Daniel were going to visit the lion's den. And before they hit the bottom of the lion's den, the lions uh, did their thing with them. So it wasn't because the lions weren't hungry or, you know, someone had slipped him a Mickey. Uh, lions did what lions did. You know, so I, I get the distinct impression that uh, Mike Johnson is going to be in a similar role. Uh, I'm very, very heartened and encouraged to uh, major powerful people uh, within 24 hours, quoting scripture, the prime minister of yeah. Israel, the secretary, uh, I should say, uh, the speaker of the house. And uh, we need to be praying for him. We need to be praying for his family. Uh, already, uh, individuals are taking pot shots at him. Uh, they are saying that uh, he is the fulfillment of uh, that uh, pot boiler uh, uh, sci-fi uh, sort of movie uh, called The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. where a uh, uh, Christo-fascist uh, society called Gilead takes over and they force women to be pregnant and all this other stuff. And they're saying, oh, we've got Gilead going on here. And oh, you know, we can see it going on. And, you know, unhelpful individuals, I won't name the usual suspects, 
are already saying, you know, he is a friend of Trump and he is, you know, he said this about the election and he's a Christian. And what about the other people that aren't Christians? How can he represent? It's all going on. Um, you know, you don't get involved with politics unless you got a thick skin. But I would yeah. say for those of you that are involved, Mike Johnson, prior to getting involved with politics, solid brother uh, in politics, doesn't seem to be uh, pulling his punches. Uh, and uh, we need to pray uh, that uh, the Lord will continue to strengthen him and guide him and help him to, to negotiate these, these very difficult times we're in. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. there you Thank go. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we've got some great questions that have come in. Thank you for those. Question from Robert uh, about the sinner's prayer, uh, whether or not it's in the Bible. There's many believers I know that say the sinner's prayer is, prayer is not biblical, um, but Romans 10, 9, which is, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe not per se, but is a model of the sinner's prayer. I believe someone may call on the Lord for salvation differently from another and in a whole different manner. What's your thoughts and thanks? So basically, someone's ready to receive the Lord. What's important for them to do, say, pray, etc.? What is... And what is, you know, what's the biblical model for that? Well, first, shy away from the philosophy that, oh, it's not in the Bible, meaning you don't see anywhere in the text, repeat after me in a public setting, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, I know you're a Savior, I ask you to come into my heart. It's the same kind of bad logic you see when people say, well, the Bible never says the word Trinity. Trinity. The yeah. Bible never says the word rapture. The Bible never says the word Bible, and on and on it goes. So the idea is, is the concept taught, is the doctrine, is the idea centered around this approach towards ministry, this understanding of receiving salvation, consistent with what we see revealed to us in Scripture. And you mentioned uh, one, one Robert, uh, of course, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if you believe in your, uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, literally Yahweh, the covenant name of God, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then the passage goes on to quote Joel, chapter 2 from the Old Testament in order to verify this. So the idea of the call of salvation being a verbal one is consistent, both in the Old and New Testament. Second, the acknowledgment that you're a sinner. That's straight out of 1 John chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10. That if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it emphasizes the point because we do it so often. If we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. So the point of it being an audible one, a one that involves confession and acknowledgement of sin is biblically consistent. Third, asking uh, Jesus to come into your heart. That, of course, is straight out of the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, where Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit in a line with the book of Ephesians as well, by the way, describing him as the seal of promise in chapter right. one of the book. Right. But Jesus saying that he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, since Jesus was speaking to his apostles and after Judas Iscariot had left as well, he doubles down on this point that is consistent with the Lord's Prayer format that invites the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. Why? Because that's where Jesus said he'd be entering, <laughs> and that's where he'd be dwelling, and that's where he'd be staying to all those who believe in his promises. So once again, there's not much that we could criticize as far as this format unless you get in 
of course, two abuses of the concept. One bad argument can lead to another. You say, oh, well, you know, the words of the Lord's Prayer aren't in the Bible, therefore it's unbiblical. That's just as foolish as saying, if you didn't pray these words in this way, in, in this, this order, way, <laughs> then you're not saved either. That's yeah. just as silly. So the idea is, are you affirming doctrine that is scriptural in the context of salvation, that you are affirming things that God himself has revealed about the terms and conditions we agree to in coming to him, and that you're trusting in what he's actually said rather than what your pastor told you to say, then that's the line. If someone has a problem with it, then like you said, there are people who come to the Lord in many different ways, but as long as it's on biblical terms, I don't think that uh, the Lord cares how much you do it, and quite insignificantly, neither do I. But the point being made is just that. Don't fall into the trap of... Um, phonics <laughs> and saying that oh, the word isn't in there or the right. words in this case aren't in there then it's unbiblical no we're looking for doctrine and when you look at the lord's prayer everything in it is based on sound doctrine a consistent handling of scripture so that would be the answer yeah it is biblical just make sure you define what a biblical means yeah yes yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with that. I just think the the Lord's, or I should say, uh, the sinner's prayer, you know, kind of popularized by the Billy Graham uh, Crusades. Mm -hmm. I think it does. Uh, I just want to make sure that we we have a balance and all that, and that I think it does have value in that for someone that's really not familiar with uh, a whole lot of Scripture, or what it means to know God. Yeah. Um, you know, they can point to this and say, you know, well, this is where I expressed my faith for the first time. This is how mm. I expressed it. Um, and, and, and sometimes for people, and let's face it, uh, one of the first big challenges we all faced <laughs> probably the, the day after uh, we received the Lord was that thought, I know it crossed my mind, well, was that really real? Yeah. You know, did I really do that? And then the first time we have a major sin or the same old sins we used to have, well, did it stick? Does it really count, you know, and all this stuff? So it's yeah. really good to have a point of reference. You know, I mean, you can't talk about filling out comment cards or, or praying a prayer or, you know, again, receiving materials from someone. I, I think there's a value in that in that it kind of allows you to say, uh, when those doubts begin to come, this is the decision that I made. Yeah. This is what it was about. And hopefully all of those things will point us back to uh, the idea that uh, Jesus is the one who saves us, we don't save ourselves. Right. Even by praying a prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. amen, yeah. great. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Robert, for that question. There's a question from Mike that's um, somewhat related. Uh, can you explain what the witness of the Holy Spirit is, and is it possible to be saved and not know what it is? The witness. <clears throat> the witness of the Holy Spirit. So you're talking about the Holy Spirit will witness of Jesus, right? Well, I don't know. I, I, um, I think what, what I, he's referring to, if I can be so bold here, uh, is uh, in Romans chapter 8 and in uh, verse 12, where it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Mm -hmm. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. 
So, so if that's what he meant, then that you know we were talking yesterday a bit about you know the three uh, kind of uh, uh, standards of uh, evaluating uh, our faith based on Second Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse five. Examine mm-hmm. yourselves, you know, and, and what we mentioned was the promises of God. Uh, you know, have I taken God up on His promise? Secondly, do we see progression? Do we see change within our life? Uh, is the Holy Spirit uh, making us into uh, a brand new person? And finally, the personal witness of the Holy Spirit, His Spirit bearing witness with ours that we are the sons of God. I think that's what they're looking for in clarity. So then to answer that question, the indwelling of the Spirit, is that is that uh, something that's secondary to salvation itself? And the answer is no, they're one and the same. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, we're told that no one calls Jesus Lord, see Romans 10, apart from the Holy Spirit. And of course, no one who is filled with the Spirit, it leads up to this, would call Jesus accursed. Right. So you can right. note the difference. But um, I think the best demonstration of that, the best way to test our handling of Scripture, would be to go to Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, where during Paul's second missionary journey, he came across a group of Hebrews who were gathering just to study Torah, do what good Hebrews do, and they had some Gentiles among them as well, which is cool. But um, they started with a very interesting interesting question in verse 2. It says, uh, did, <laughs> great place to put the verse there, guys, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said in verse 4, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So in this situation, what do we see? We see a group of individuals who had a desire for God, uh, not too different from, and I'm sure you'll bring this up when we get to it in our studies in Acts, the centurion Cornelius and plenty others, the noble savage, if you will, people who had an understanding of the Old Testament scriptures but had no actual spiritual restoration before God. Well, what did God do? He made sure that Paul yeah. got down there to finish the, I guess, uh, contract, if you will, to make sure that they were saved as a result of their pursuit of God, that there was a destination to that pursuit that led them to where God promised it would throughout the OT. So the idea there is, what is salvation? It's the, if you want to call it that, witness of the Holy Spirit, but the indwelling of the Spirit would be what we'd recognize. The idea of you being saved apart from the Holy Spirit is an oxymoron. The concept of salvation is to be filled with the Spirit, to be sealed with the Spirit of promise. So if we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit. If we aren't saved, we don't have the Holy Spirit. If you think you're saved, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved. Those are the same thing. Yeah, and you know, one of the things, and and maybe this will help because sometimes, uh, you know, we talk about the witness of the Spirit, you know, the internal witness, His Spirit bearing witness with ours, that we're His children. You can almost, like we say, get out into the ethereal, you know, the personal experiences. And some people say, well, but I didn't have spirit shivers or Holy Ghost goosebumps. Or, you know, I, I've, I've never, you know, felt these things or had some kind of a vision. Or so does, does that make me, uh, you know, a non 
uh, spirit minister to a Christian? Do I not have that inner witness of the spirit? This is the bottom line. I, I'm not saying that you can't have these other experiences where God expresses his love to us in very personal ways. Don't get me wrong. But understand them. Jesus put it this way. He said in John chapter uh, 16 and verse 9 that when the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, because they do not believe in me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father. And judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Well, what Jesus is saying in all of that is, uh, unless the Holy Spirit convicts you of these things, unless the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you, you're not going to understand the gospel. You, you really won't. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, and they're foolishness to him because they're spiritually discerned. So, you know, when someone says, well, I'm not really sure the Holy Spirit has, has really, you know, borne witness with my spirit that I'm, I'm a child of God, mm -hmm. the, the first question I ask is, okay, who in your opinion is Jesus? Well, he's the Son of God. Mm -hmm. uh, what did Jesus do to save you? Well, I believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead, so I could be saved. Uh, you know, have you made a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus personally. Yeah. I go, well, bingo, you didn't think that up yourself. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says you're dead in your trespasses and sins before yeah. God opens your eyes to all of that. So if you believe these things, right, mm -hmm. you're walking miracle. Right. You have that witness of the Holy Spirit in his convicting and converting work within your life. Now, whether you have other experiences where, you know, you just feel such a closeness to God, maybe in a worship time that you feel like you're just weeping, you know, you're just overwhelmed by God's presence, a sense of his care and, and, uh, and his, his concern for you, then that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Rejoice in those things. But those things can come and go. You could be in the greatest worship setting where everybody else is entering in. I guarantee you, if you had a bad taco for lunch, you're not going to feel it. You're going to feel a bad taco, yeah. right? So uh, we have to have something far more substantial as far as that witness of the Spirit than just being at the right place at the right time with the right song sung and everybody kind of having this sense of God's presence. There's something far deeper than that witness, to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit than all that. Right, right. Not to exclude so, those things. Great when they happen, but they're like, they're like uh, the cherry on the top of the Sunday. So. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, thank you for that question, Mike. Appreciate that. Question from Taylan. How are you doing, Taylan? Thank you for your question today. Um, how do you encourage a fellow believer to not worry about money? He says, I feel like uh, we only talk about work and finances with this uh, fellow believer friend, I guess. How do we encourage someone not to worry about money? Money's a huge thing, right? It makes the world go round. We need it. <laughs> We've got bills. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just recommend Matthew 6. Jesus said, don't worry about the things that the Gentiles worry about, food, clothing, all those sort of deals. And there's a follow-up that was made in the pastoral epistles as well. Yeah, First Timothy chapter 6 uh, tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, our finances, sometimes we'll look at our bills and our debt and go, well, am I gaining on it? Uh, we, we'll even use those kind of terms. Uh, well, what kind of gain are we really going to be concerned about when it's all said and done? Here's the newsflash. It's not our uh, credit report. Uh, it, it's not the uh, size of the house that we had or the car that we drove. It's going to be the relationship that we had 
with God. And, uh, you know, the scripture tells us, boy, great passage to go through is in Philippians chapter 4, where maybe you've heard that, that uh, famous statement uh, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. Usually you hear that and it's like, I can leap tall buildings in a single bound because of Christ who strengthens me. And I can do this miracle and I can, yeah. no, no. You know what Paul was talking about? He is saying, I know how to be abased, that is to have nothing yep. and to abound, to have a lot of stuff yep. in I all things and all ways. Uh, but I can do all things, that is maintain my level of godly contentment through Christ who strengthens me. Mm. If I got a lot or a little, it doesn't matter because in God's economy, we know if we need it, we got it. If we don't got it, we don't need it. We might disagree with him on some of those details, <laughs> but um, when we understand that, we understand he's a good shepherd and he does a great job, then, you know. So I, I, I suggest read through Philippians chapter four and realize that Paul came from a very highly placed aristocratic kind of a family, so he knew what it was like to have everything. And here he's writing this letter from the Mamertine prison in Rome. And if you ever get a chance to see the Mamertine prison, the the remnants of it, it wasn't what I call the Hilton. Uh, He was in a very, very dire set of circumstances, Mm. but nothing could change his heart and his mind Mm. as far as contentment. Because this is part of God's plan. Yeah. That'll be content. Right. Very good. Yeah. Great. Simon, yeah. thanks. Hope that helps you out. Bless you for having a heart for your buddy there to encourage him in that. Question from Mac D. Why did Lot's wife turn into a pillar of salt? Did she still desire her past instead of moving forward? What was that all about? Yeah, the significance of we, we, we what saw, we saw Lot's wife when we were in Israel, right? Yeah, all forty of her. Yeah. The whole point <laughs> when you go on the tours. You go through the Dead Sea, there's like these pillars of salt that are there, and everybody's got a different one. They say that's Lot's wife. Well, and, and the reason for it is because <laughs> it's do. a huge <laughs> asphalt pit, and the area that was formerly known as Sodom and Gomorrah was superheated so quickly in a historical event that we not only have pottery that was able to be salinated, literally, because it was heated up so fast without shattering. Right little archaeological hint there as to biblical veracity, but also noting as well that's just what happens chemically to that sort of environment. We're told that it was a very fertile ground, so a lot of of shenanigans happening there, but underneath the visible surface. The point being made is when people read into symbolic significance, and to a point I appreciate broad application as long as there's narrow definition. This is what the scripture said, not as opposed to, well, there's so many things that could be saying when people say, well, the Bible can mean anything, but your definition of it is wrong. That's where you get into deception, Bill. So the idea of what happened historically, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. This was a definite supernatural event, and because of her rejecting the explicit instructions given to her by the two angels that the Lord sent to Sodom and Gomorrah, specifically to warn Lot and his family, and anyone who would listen, that they spent a full day explaining this was going to happen, this is how you can avoid it, God's policy and whatever he judges people, she disobeyed those terms and conditions. She ended up joining the rest of the city in a pile of you get it. So the idea of that is literal. But if we then ask, what's the significance in application? Well, like Scripture tends to do in any form of literature, you got an extended 
reference guide of themes and pictures, if it's meant to be symbolically significant, then the next time it's mentioned, it'll either reference back to it or it'll have a consistent pattern. The most significant reference to salt, for instance, in the New Testament is when Jesus introduced at the Sermon on the Mount describing his people as the salt of the earth. Now, was that in reference to Lot's wife because of the significance of salt in Scripture? No, because Jesus meant that in a positive sense. In the culture of Rome, they, under, they were even paid in salt because it was not only such a useful commodity, but a value, valued commodity since they didn't have refrigeration. So the idea was that you serve a purpose, not just in restraining evil or corruption, which salt tended to do, but it would have been understood by his primary audience. That's an introduction of a concept. So if we say, oh, well, you know, like how salt preserves things, or looking back to the city that was being turned to salt, God used this as a significant representation of not turning back to your old life when God's called you. No, A, we all do that, and B, I'm still made of carbon, not sodium chloride. So the idea is moot. (laughs) So let's take another step back and go, what was the significance of that? Be careful in the level of interpretation you do, because you have to test your conclusions. I don't see that significant theme, like, for instance, other significant themes in the book of Genesis, where uh, Joseph had a dream of the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. That's used uh, that's referenced, literally quoted later in the book of Revelation chapter 12 as a consistent theme. When we look at Lot's wife being mentioned, I'm sure there's allusions to it, but there's no reason to apply it beyond a basic historical event. You are told by God, this is what you don't do and do it. There are consequences. I think that's fairly straightforward. Right. But as far as, you know, well, that was a very unique judgment. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah was unique, and that judgment is referenced in particular. But you need to be careful in reading more into what Scripture tells us than what's actually said and saying, well, why was she turned into a pillar of salt? Let's spend a whole time studying that when it seems like what the Bible wants to talk about more of is what she was looking at, that God judged Mm. that city and why. So go with what you do know, not what you don't. Listen to what you're told, not what you're not told. And again, no problem with broad applications of narrow themes. But if that narrow theme, that narrow conclusion, leads you to something that isn't biblical, Make sure that those broad applications are tested with other narrow themes as well, other Mm. actual truth statements as well. That's how you handle any literature. The Bible's just another example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Absolutely. Great answer. Yeah. Right on the end of our show here, but another question. Yeah. uh, From Tim, is there, he's asking if there's any resources available to check out which prophecies have and have not occurred yet. Did I spell that right? I struggle with the word prophecy. Where was it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. S is uh, in the form of a verb. Prophesy, yeah. When we're talking about prophecy, uh, always be a critical spiritual consumer because generally people are coming to Scripture with a set of assumptions. And if they come, for instance, from a symbolist or a spiritual view of prophecy, they're not going to believe that any of it can be fulfilled because 
Of what reason? They don't believe that prophecy has any literal fulfillment, that it's all just a bunch of symbols. If they come to the Scripture with this sort of assumption, A, they're probably liberal, and B, they're probably not going to regard the authority of Scripture, because how do you determine something symbolic as opposed to literal, and why would something being symbolic be reason to dismiss it? It's a very sloppy handling of Scripture. Definitely historical, but not, I would say, valid. Another example would be preterist, and the word itself actually tells you how they would handle prophecy. The word preterist just means fulfilled, right? and the idea of them saying, well, which prophecies have been fulfilled and which prophecies have yet to be uh, fulfilled in the future? If you're talking to a preterist, usually among Calvinist and Reform circles, they would say yes. They're all fulfilled, <laughs> that nothing's left to be fulfilled, and most of the time you're going to run into partial preterists because they'll still acknowledge a future judgment, mm -hmm. but if you run into like a hardcore preterist, there are serious consequences to dealing with that in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Be careful with that. Learn where the oh, nice. reader is coming from. Another form is historic millennialism, the belief that we're in the millennium right now, and that was more common during the time of the Renaissance because things were starting to go on the up and up, at least in the time of Europe. But that handling of Scripture is also dangerous because they'll say that things are being fulfilled, and they're coming from a perspective that's willing to twist and skew things in light of current events. We call it newspaper eschatology. It's not wise. See where your sources are coming from. And then, of course, even with us here as well, the fourth view would be a premillennial position, a futurist position. We believe that most prophecies are still yet in the future. Certainly the majority have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel, but we also acknowledge the room for dual fulfillments, and this is where you also have to be critical spiritual consumers, because even we could be influenced by our biases. Check where they're coming from, check their assumptions, and do so with an open Bible, not an allegiance to a name. Yeah, real quick, there's a great book by John Walver, the famous scholar from Dallas Seminary, called The Prophecy Knowledge Handbook. I highly recommend you get it available on Amazon. Awesome. Probably updated every two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you for being with us. We'll be back again same time. Same. No, we will not. We'll be back on Monday. God bless you guys. <laughs> You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.